It's hard to believe it's uh, Memorial Day and it's supposed to rain. <laughs> Go figure. You know, on the way up the hill, Connie and I were, were praying, and uh, I prayed for the health of the church, and I get here and find out there's no donuts. So I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll own it. Sure, I'm leaving. And so he boxes me in. You see this? I have no room to walk. I might have to come down here. Yeah, I, I don't need any more challenges in my life. Well, this morning, uh, if you were here last week, I, I mentioned that, uh, that I am going to step down as uh, one of the preachers on the preaching team, and that's a uh, bittersweet um, thing for me. I've uh, been here, I guess we've been here preaching for nine years. It doesn't seem like that, but it has. Uh, and I've, I've totally enjoyed it, and God has used it profoundly in my life. Uh, I actually had a deal with God at one point that I thought we both understood, um, and that was I wouldn't, uh, when I left Nebraska, I, to come and, and counsel in a uh, non-denominational uh, ministry uh, where I would be doing biblical counseling, I thought we had an agreement that I would, uh, that I was through with the pastorate, and I wasn't. <laughs> uh, but it's been, it's been really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Rimrock is truly uh, a one-of-a-kind uh, body. And I'm not going anywhere. I still will be around, so... <laughs> Sorry, but I, you know, I'm just not going to be part of the preaching team here uh, on a regular basis. So, but as I was asking God about what to talk about this morning, I had an idea, and then I wasn't settled on it as of last night, and so this morning I got a new idea, <laughs> and uh, that happens sometimes to me, but. Uh, it happened this morning, and really, in asking God what he wanted to, how I could, I guess, encourage you with the way God has encouraged me, uh, I decided to do what he did. When, when I was asking God, you know, how did I get so, um, I guess, tired? How did I get so spiritually uh, anemic, as I said last week. He began to show me what happened, what, what took place, but then I said, so what do I do? You know, what, what happened, and, and where do I go? What, where, where do I go from here to get, to get back uh, to where I was and, and continue moving further? And he used uh, a person who basically I would refer to as my mentor, uh, and who is now dead. Uh, his name's Ian Thomas. Many of you are familiar with Ian Thomas. But uh, I, I plugged in one of his CDs back in, in uh, 
early March. It might have been late February. And, uh, and there it was. Here's, here's, you know, right before me, basically what I had uh, forgotten to remember. And, you know, you hear me preach a lot all the time about grace and about identity and about what has been accomplished through the blood of Christ and his sacrifice and the regeneration, the rebirth that happens to a Christian becoming a new creation. And that is so important because that is, uh, that's the key to victory in the Christian life, but it's not the end all. The end all is now growing in that identity. You know, there's a responsibility that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. There's a responsibility, there's a privilege, uh, but um, it requires the very thing we, we were searching for when we, when we approached Jesus for salvation in the first time. It requires Him. It requires the knowledge of His Word. It requires the relationship with Him on a daily basis. You can't just go and get a fix, you know, spend some time in the Word and be good for a month or two. He gave us the illustration of Him being the bread of life and the fountain of living water, and He, and he emphasized the need, or he, he reminded us of the need to be constantly feeding from Him by giving us an appetite of this earthly tent. We don't do well when we just skip eating. Every once in a while, it doesn't hurt. But, uh, you know, he designed our bodies where we need nourishment. We need, you can't go for days without water. You can't go for very long without food. And thus it is, it's the same way in the Christian life. We have to be nourished constantly by the Lord Jesus Christ. There were a couple of verses that jumped out at me uh, early on in my sabbatical. One of them was John 5, 39 and 40. It says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Now, he's not dissing the scriptures. He's just saying the scriptures aren't enough. You can memorize, and I know people who have much of the Bible memorized, but you don't see life in their, in their, uh, their existence. They, the, the scriptures become words that they, that they use, that they memorize to, to, to build a case or, or, or whatever. But unless those scriptures are being enlightened, empowered by the Holy Spirit who now dwells within us, they're not going to nourish us. There's another verse in, in uh, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We live in a world that is under the, uh, the control for evil. We, we live in a world that's under the control of the devil himself. It's not that he's supreme. It's not that he's in authority over God. But man gave Satan the right to rule here when he stepped aside and said, you know what, I think I know better than God way back in the garden. And as such, Satan, being much smarter than us, he knows how to get us off track. Last week I talked about running the race and staying in your lane. And, you know, we can, we, can, we can be all for that and think that we're done. But if we're, not, if we're not taking every thought captive, if we're, not, if we're not examining things to make sure they're coming from God, we can easily get off track, even though we're, we think we're on it. We've got to be checking in constantly. We've got to be mindful of that personal relationship we now have with Jesus Christ and make ourselves available as he did to the Father to do his will. Or we can find ourselves off track doing good things. Satan doesn't care what we're doing so long as it's not what God wants us to be doing. So those were two things that jumped out at me uh, a few months ago. And what I remembered, or what I got uh, exposed to again uh, from Major Ian Thomas, was the life of Moses. I've taught on Moses. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've gone over that a lot of times. But, uh, but Moses is a guy that I can, I can relate to. And if you turn back to Exodus, chapter 1, actually, we're just going to walk through something that Moses learned. And hopefully we will glean from what he learned. You know the story of Moses. Uh, this was at the time when uh, Egypt was being now filled with Hebrews. The, the Hebrews were, were beginning to multiply in such a way that there were getting to be more of them than the Egyptians, and that, that caused great concern for Pharaoh. And he put out a, dis, a decree, as you're aware of, to, uh, to kill all the, the male children born to the Hebrew slaves. And such was the case when Moses came into the world. And in verse 22, the very last verse of chapter 1, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer... She got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile, and her maidens uh, walking alongside the, were walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying, and he had, she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Now, do you see what just happened there? Moses was God's man. He was called out by God. And he was spared by God. And God made a way to provide for him, which was the very best. I mean, here his mom puts him in the, in the Nile in a basket, and lo and behold, the daughter of Pharaoh himself comes and rescues him, and then gives him to his own mother to nurse him and to raise him. That's how big God is. This wasn't a coincidence. This is how, this, God had plans for Moses. And those plans were great. And you go on and you read that he grew and he, he became, you know, he was skilled in all of the ways of, uh, of the Egyptians. He had position. He had power. He had everything he needed, really, to do good for his people. He was in the right place to do what he desired to do and what God desired to do, and that was to free the Hebrew people. But we find Moses doing what we do so often. He took matters into his own hands. If you skip down to uh, verse 11, it says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He looked this way and that. But who didn't he look to? He didn't look to God as to how to handle the situation. He looked this way and that. He looked to the world, and he looked around, and he saw no one present, and he, and he slew the Egyptian to give relief to the Hebrew, one of his brethren. And that's something that we'll learn in our life. When a, when a man forgets to look God's way, he tries to do God's work man's way. And it never works out. And it didn't work out for Moses either. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? And then he got confronted with what he had done. So Moses did what we often do when we're busted. He ran. He ran and hid. He was in a position to do something, and now he had just forfeited that. He ran because it seemed good to him to do that. He went to the backside of the desert is where he ended up. It says when, in 15, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and, they, and fill the troughs with water for their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. 
When they came to uh, Riel, their father, he said, why have you come back so early? Now, I want to explain something. See, what was happening, this guy only had daughters. And so they would go out to water the sheep. To, they would tend the flocks. And because they were women, these other shepherds of the region would also come to water their flocks. And they would, they would, put, they would move their sheep in front of theirs and, and water their sheep first. And so these girls would uh, have to wait and they would always come back late. It would always be late in the night when they would come back. And here on this occasion, suddenly they're home early. And their dad asks, you know, how, why, how is it that you're home early? And here's what they said. So they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the, land of the, from the hand of the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. An Egyptian... An Egyptian, they said. How did they know he was an Egyptian? He was dressed like one. He was clothed with the clothes of an Egyptian. He had the, the garb of an of a Egyptian prince. So they identified him by his clothing. And you know, God's pretty interested in what we wear. He's pretty interested in clothing. I don't know if you knew that or not, but he is. And here's what I mean by that. Moses was identified by what he wore, but he was identified wrongly. He was identified by his former worldly status. They didn't recognize that he was a Hebrew. They didn't recognize he was a, a, a child of the Hebrews who were the people of God. And so they mistook him based on his worldly appearance. Now, if you flip with me over to Leviticus chapter 16, you'll see what I mean about God's picky about what we wear. Verse 16, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark or he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, with a, a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with, lin with a linen sash and attired with a linen turban. These are holy garments. This he shall... Thus he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. Linen was the garb of the priest. Aaron was the first priest of the tribe of Levi, and Aaron was to clothe himself in linen garments before entering into the presence of God. He would go behind the veil to make a sacrifice, an offering for the sins of the people, but he had to be ceremonially clean, and he had to have linen garments on. Now, why linen? If you turn a little further back to Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 44, you read more about this, starting in verse 15. But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, 
who, were, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the sons of Israel went astray from me shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me and offer to me fat and the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near to my table to minister to me and keep my charge. It shall be that when they enter at the gate of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and wool shall not be upon them while they are ministering in the gates of the inner court and in the house. Linen turbans shall be on their head, and linen garments shall be on their loins, so, and they shall not gird themselves with anything that makes them sweat. You think, what's the deal? You know, is sweat a bad thing? Well, we know God designed us to sweat when we're, you know, to keep the body cool. To, to uh, It's actually a, a good thing. But keep in mind, God's, there's, there's no additional stuff in the Scriptures. There's no, you know, just throw this in to confuse people. There's a reason for this. There's a picture here. There's symbolism here. There's a, you know, there, there's a message here. He's saying, my priest, the people who minister in my sanctuary, the people charged with my work, wear linen because linen keeps you cool. No wool shall come upon you because wool makes you sweat. And what he's referencing there is he's saying, you know what, if you're doing my work, you're really not at work. If you're laboring with your own resources, if you're doing what you think is good for God, you're, you're, burning, you're burning the wick without the oil. And your labor will cause you to stink. He says, my priests, they don't work. They don't labor because I'm the one who does the work. And you think, now, what's that mean? Well, remember, go back to Moses again when it's still back in Exodus chapter 2 where he encounters the burning bush. And remember when Moses was, was, was looking at this bush, he noticed that it, it wasn't consumed. You know, if, if something's burning, it should be being consumed as it burns. But this bush just burned and was never consumed. Why? Because God was the fire. When God's at work, it's God at work. He doesn't consume whatever it is he's working through. You know who we are, according to the Scriptures? We're a royal priesthood. If you, have, if you have acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have been born again, you're a priest of God. And the priests of God aren't supposed to sweat. In other words, they're not supposed to do anything of their own initiative with their own labor. Remember Jesus, he said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. Everything I do, I do by direction of my Father. 
The work that you see, it's not me, it's my Father. He's at work. But yet you saw it through Jesus Christ. You heard it through Jesus Christ. It was the Father at work through the Son, and he said, as my Father sent me, I now send you. So the work that God wants to do now through you, one of his priests, is his work out of his temple, which you are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens? Things get accomplished. If we get deceived by the world as to what is ours to do, this good thing over here, this good thing over here, or more of this, or, or whatever... All of a sudden, it's going to require our labor if it's not God directing us to do it. It's going to require our energy and our effort. And you know what happens to that stuff? It gets consumed. That's the wood, hay, and stubble that in, in the end, when we go before God with all that we've done, the things that remain, the gold, silver, precious stones, the, the, the stuff that remains is the stuff that God did through us. The stuff we did on our own, burned. And it does get consumed. If we're operating out of our own wisdom, our own resources, even if it appears to be doing God's work, it's going to produce sweat. It's going to be as though you're a priest clothed with wool. And it's going to amount to nothing. In Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed or have clothed yourselves with Christ. You know who you're wearing? You're wearing Jesus Christ. You know who indwells you to pour his life through you? Jesus Christ. And if we forget that, if we if we get up in the morning and we look at our our uh, schedule and we just take off marching because you know what this is this is what I have planned for the day and we're not and we're not checking with God if we're not going to the scriptures and feeding from the the bread of life and drinking from the fountain of living water chances are pretty darn good we're gonna go out in our own energy and we're gonna miss we're gonna get out of our lane we're gonna be running a race that isn't ours. And we're going to get weary and we're going to get tired and we're going to get spent. That's what God taught me through his, sermon, or his servant, Ian Thomas. Right away I realized that's it. That's, that's what happened. I, I got confused as to what was mine to do and what wasn't mine to do. So I started doing anything and everything, and all of a sudden you wonder, am I doing anything at all? Because it doesn't seem, you know, I mean, there were, it, there's times, of course, when you're, when you're plugged into the Holy Spirit of God, you're searching out the Scriptures, and you know what, what, there is, what, what he's, 
He's using you to do to encourage other people. But what I missed is what he was doing to encourage me. I was in the scriptures all the time studying for the next message, the next teaching, the next client or, or person I was visiting with, the next disciple that I was helping to walk with God. And what started to disappear was my time with the Savior. And if that's happening to you, you need to fix it. Because you don't have that many days on this planet, so you don't want to waste them. What God has for you, just like he had for Moses, was a, is a great plan. But we, like Moses, we can get in the way, and all of a sudden something happens, and we're set back. Moses was set back 40 years. He spent out, out you know, in, in Midian until God appeared to him in that burning bush. Moses wasted so much of his life by being in the wrong place. Doing, well, doing the wrong thing, maybe in the right place. Leaning on his own wisdom, on his own resources, and it set him back. It's not that Moses was forgotten. God knew exactly where he was. But when Moses figured it out, now he was usable again. So if you're on the backside of the wilderness, if your wheels are spinning, and you're not sure that what you're doing with your life, if you see evidence of, of the flesh in your life, if, you, if your relationships are troubled, if you're, if you're living on, on edge, if, if, you're, if you're being deceived by uh, worldly wisdom around you and the things of the world have become more important than the things of God, if you're caught up with what's going on in our environment and, and that becomes your focus, I want to tell you, you got to back up, you got to slow down, you got to, you got to regroup. You got to come back and say, God, you're in control of all this. You know what's going on. I just need to know where do you want me involved in what's going on, and I'll leave the rest. That's my prayer for you, is that you know the will of God. For you. We all have our own lane. We all have our own race. Some of our races are a little bit longer than others, but none of us know where the finish line is. But we know where we are today. And we've got the relationships that we have around us. We've got the, the gifting that God has given us. And we need to every day be in touch with God, be in tune with God, be in his word so that when he speaks, we recognize it as him as he leads us in what he has for us to do that day, that moment. His name is I am, not I will be. I am, not I was. He's present, he's alive, and he's active, and you're his priest or priestess. You're his ambassador, and he's got something to say to you about you, and he's got something to say to you about what you're doing. So how's your time with God doing? Are you spending a quiet time alone with God, not asking him about the agenda, asking him about you. What does he have 
for you to feed on for the agenda of the day. He'll give you the agenda. You'll know it when, you're, when it's right in front of you. But are you asking him to sustain, to nourish you? You got to be in here. You got to be in the Word of God. Not for the knowledge intellectually, but for the knowledge relationally. You got to know whose you are in addition to who you are, or you'll miss it. And He'll give you, He'll remind you every day, He'll encourage you every day, He'll build you up every day, He'll supply to you everything you need. And when you're walking with him, you'll recognize what it is he's up to, where he's at work, and where he's asking you to join him. And you know what? There's no sweat. The Christian life, no sweat. It's all up to him. Are you letting your life be all up to him? Because that's the way he designed it. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our provider. Thank you for being our life, being our wisdom, being our, our source and resource. Thank you for giving us everything that pertains to life and godliness. But Father, I just want to pray that all of us would be conscious of that time spent with you. Are we discovering who you are? And if we're not, Father, I pray that you would tug on our hearts and remind us that you're waiting, that you never miss that appointment, that you're always there to feed. So, Father, I pray that you find us at your table, eating from your bread, drinking from your fountain. So I pray, Father, that in that others then would be nourished as well. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for this church that we call Rimrock, but it's not the building, it's the people in it. Thank you for how you have brought us all together. Thank you for how you have um, something to do in and through us. And I praise you for what that's going to look like. I praise you for what, how you've nourished me and encouraged me through all these people. And I pray, Father, that you would encourage them through your Spirit dwelling within me. Thank you for these relationships. Thank you for this privilege. Praise you always, always, always for who you are, what you've done, because you're God. Amen. Amen. Hey, we, uh, we have an opportunity, you know, like in your lifetime, God just brings a couple of real covenant friends to you, and Pat has been that for me. Uh, and we've, I've learned a lot from him, and we've taught together probably pushing 20 years now. And so, like, when, when uh, God speaks to your friends, you're really excited. And so I'm really excited that God's speaking to Pat. And, and giving him direction, I'm very, it's just bittersweet to me because it's just been like this intimate friendship that we have and I trust will continue as far as I know.
Uh, <laughs> said otherwise. Uh, and, and, but, and yet we're still at this process of just changing what God's doing in our lives. But really what I want to do is I just want to pray for Pat, but really what I'd like you to do is just have the, we just want to take this opportunity to thank Pat for his service to all of us. And so thank you.